chapter 7. Beginning in verse 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. They bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He had done all things well, he maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Verse 35 is our text. Straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. I want to preach to you this morning with the help of God on a message entitled, Notable Firsts. Notable Firsts. Let us pray. Reverend Hill, sir, would you please pray over our message and messenger. be seated. The best way to read your Bible is with your imagination. Now, I'm not saying to lay in bed and imagine you read the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, as you read it, imagine yourself in that situation. Put yourself in the Bible reading. If you do that, you'll find yourself cheering Jesus on. You'll find yourself shaking your head at the scribes and Pharisees and the religious people who cared little about people and all about power. You'll find yourself amazed at the miracles that took place. And you might even ask some questions. Now, Bible reading this morning we find a man that was deaf and dumb that Jesus was going to heal. And as you look at it, again, put yourself in the situation. You're standing there, and Jesus begins to do some things, and you're, you're kind of wondering what in the world's going on. He takes his fingers, and he puts it in the man's ears. He spits, touches the man's tongue with the spittle. And then he says, Ephatha, which is the Greek for be opened. And the Bible said that his ears were opened 
And straightway the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. As I was reading that and I was imagining myself, I was wondering when exactly did his ears open? Was it after he said, Ephatha? Did he hear part of the command? Was it in anticipation of the command that he heard the whole words? What were the first things that this man heard? And then, if you're there in your mind's eye, and the Bible said the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain, then you want to ask, what were the first things that he spoke? What were the words that he spoke? Can you imagine just being there and saying, man, what was it like to have never heard anything? And then the very first words you hear are words from God. What was it like to have never spoke plainly? And then you are there for the very first words that this man speaks. What did he speak? Did he break forth in praise? Did he, did he overflow with thanksgiving? Did he, did he begin to shout? Did he begin to, to sing? We don't know. But man, what was it like to have been there for that first? What was it like to hear this, a song for the first time? You wouldn't even know if it didn't sound good. <laughs> First song you ever heard. They can get away with some sour notes in the choir. What was it like to hear a bird singing for the first time? Or maybe the voice of your mother. What was it like to be able to communicate plainly? Things that were welled up inside of you for years that you could never share with some of your friends and loved ones. And now you suddenly have, it's like the, the, the floodgates are open. You've got the ability to speak and to, and to say something and maybe to sing. What was it? What did he say? But what about this? What about the blind man that Jesus healed? What was it like to see for the first time? The sunset. Uh, the other day we were driving home. I happened to have my sunglasses on. And so I was able to look up at the clouds. The sun was right there. You couldn't see it in your natural eyes. It was just too bright. But my shades were really dark. So I was able to look up and, and the clouds were tinged with blue and pink. And I was explaining to my wife, man, that's beautiful. You should look up there. And she didn't have her sunglasses. She didn't ha at first had them on. And so she had to fiddle around, find them and put them on. Then she said, wow, I see that, man. Was it like God is a great artist? Amen. How many of those people, the first thing they saw was the face of God? Jesus opening their eyes and they're looking into the eyes of God. How was that? What was it like when we read of the leper, L E P E R, not leopard, but the man with leprosy? And you got to know a little bit about leprosy, the small disease it began to uh, eat away. And it, it took away, not only, not only did, it, did it begin to eat away fingers, noses, ears, and sections of your body. It was rotting. It had a horrible smell and a stench. But it took away your ability to socialize. So the leper was separated and they had to go away. They could no longer hug their daughter. Could no longer kiss their son. Can no longer shake someone's hand. You know, we take human interaction almost for granted. 
This morning, probably, hopefully, somebody shook your hand or you shook someone's hand. Maybe you saw a brother, a brother hugged the neck of a brother, or a sister hugged the neck of a sister. Now, don't go around trying to give everybody a holy kiss. Amen? <laughs> We're not that kind of church, but I suppose if you were a sister hugging a sister, sometimes, you know, maybe older ladies can get away with a motherly or grandmotherly kiss on the cheek, and that's, you know, okay. Amen? Not finding fault with that. But what was it like when that leprous man who had been separated from his family and no longer could hug his wife or touch his son or touch his daughter and for years had just had to put up with the, the stench and, and being separated, no human touch. And then Jesus, when the Bible said that he came to Jesus and Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Now Jesus could have said be healed. He didn't have to touch him. Amen. He could have just said, be healed. But he reached out and touched him. What was it like to have the hand of God on your hand, or on your shoulder, or on your head? I'm thinking about, I, I told the story in the Philippines, there was a, a man, he had a skin disease. And there was a missionary and another missionary that was coming in to replace him. And the man with this disease came at that time. And the original missionary saw him. He had this, you know, these oozing sores and whatnot. And he wanted to be prayed for. But the first missionary, he was kind of queasy about touching him. Maybe he didn't have the faith or whatever, I don't know. He told the second missionary, you pray for him. And the second missionary went up and gave him a bear hug. And prayed for him, and God healed him. God healed him. I want you to think about that. The first thing they saw when they opened their eyes, the first thing they heard when they opened their ears, the first thing they spake when their, their tongue was healed by Jesus, the, how it felt to be touched for the first time in years and years. Now, snap it into the spiritual realm. Because Jesus didn't just heal bodies. Jesus healed spirits and souls. And there's something about, you know, you can think of it in the natural sense. It's okay to go out and work eight hours. At the end of the day, if you've been working physical labor, you're probably not smelling like dove soap. Amen. Sweating and, and uh, you got some, some fragrance about you that's not. Something that you want to buy at uh, $50 an ounce. And sometimes it gets so bad that you, you tell your own self, man, I stink. I can't wait to get to a shower. You ever been there? When we were in the military. Sometimes you go out to the field for a week or two weeks and you didn't get to, to shower in regular showers. You had to use little you know, rags and try to clean yourself up best. And you never get it all the way clean. And so you look forward to the time you got out of the field and you can get in a hot shower. Just luxuriate there and get clean. Well, spiritually, sometimes we get that way. People are around and, and they've become defiled in their spirit and defiled in their soul for a long time. Sometimes they don't even realize it. They're walking around with a, a bad attitude. They're walking around with a bad spirit. They're walking around critical, judgmental, pharisaical. Looking down at everybody, I don't like the music. I think she should dress differently. And I think he ought to do this. And I think the pastor ought to do that. 
strong spirit. An attitude that repels people. Jesus, the children wanted to be around him. Amen. His spirit didn't repel people. It drew people to him. You got to wonder sometimes. Folks don't want to be around you. (laughs) If everybody doesn't want to be around you, it's not everybody. It's you. Amen. So what is it like when the woman that's been living a promiscuous life, dirty and filthy, the man that's been drinking and drugging, hasn't had a sober day for weeks or months, the person that's filled with so much anger and hatred, we were out soul winning yesterday, my son and I were working together, soul winning, inviting people, you know, you, you do the best you can, you try to... You try to disarm people. You know, we know it's a dangerous uh, community. Sometimes people are a little bit nervous, so you come out with a great big smile. Hey, how you doing? Try to tell them right ahead. Hey, I'm Pastor Devin Shaw, so they can, you know, calm down a little bit. They don't think I'm trying to sell them something. They don't think I'm trying to uh, detective, trying to arrest them or something, you know. And usually folks are kind of, oh, okay. Hey, I want to invite you to church. You start talking to them. But then afterwards... We were going to a store, and there was a lady, and she just looked like she needed a smile. She needed some, 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 some uh, love or some friendship. And so she's walking. I mean, she just was mean looking. I mean, mean looking. I'm not, I wouldn't want to mess with her in a dark alley. I mean, that mean looking. Willie, look at Willie. He's shaking his head. He said that's the way she was. And so I tried. I smiled. Hey, how you doing? She didn't break stride. She didn't smile. She didn't say anything back. But oh well. Some folks just get in that way and they don't even realize how they are. They look at everybody as a threat. Everybody as somebody to be feared, to be held at at, uh, uh, arm's distance. But the problem with that is if you always hold people at arm's distance, if you always live inside a little safe, a a little uh, cave of your own safety, you never open up to where people can love you. You may not get hurt, but you may not get loved either. And I'm telling you, sometimes, let me not say it that way, love is worth the risk. Spiritually. Well, I don't know about coming to church. I might go to the wrong church. You might, if you're coming for God, you're not going to go to the wrong church. Because the, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I like that. I, I like that because we come to church and, and I don't know how many times people have said, Oh, Pastor, man, Reverend Hill preached just what I needed. Or you had, you had just the message I needed. Or that teaching, I was thinking about that today. Why? Because God knows how to bring us to a place where he can speak to us in the secrets of our heart. Things that we're even afraid to bring up. They come up and, and we say, man, God, you're real. For instance, working on this message this morning, Reverend Hill, usually we... we uh, communicate about the text that goes out on Sunday morning. And I said, sometimes I'll just say, well, I'm not going to put something specific about the message. Just send a generic text. And I told him this morning, nothing specific for the text. And so I get the text too. I got to make sure, I, you know, you have to encourage the preacher to come to church, right? <laughs> you heard about that lady. She's trying to wake up her husband. He said, hey, man, it's time to get up and go to church. I don't want to go to that church. Those folks don't like me. 
No, no, come on. It's time to, you got to get up and go to church. No, I don't want to go to church. You give me one good reason that I should get up and go to church. She said, you're the pastor. <laughs> you got to go, man. <laughs> some of you are almost smiling. I don't know if I could, some folks, I don't know if I could ever get to smile, but we'll try. So, uh, where was I now? I forgot. Help me. Okay, yeah, yeah, there's something before that, though. Okay, it'll come back to me. Lady, right, right, right. So we get so dirty sometimes that we don't recognize our own need. What is it like when that person comes to an altar and Jesus reaches out and touches them and their sins are washed away? What is it like? Do you remember? For those of you who are born again, maybe you recall. How that, when you got saved and you got up, I'm, I'm thinking about my friend. He, he was at a, a, a serviceman's home. He was a soldier. He had been involved in prostitution and been involved in drinking and all that junk. And he, he came to the church and he wanted to be uh, cleansed. He just felt that dirtiness, that weight of sin. He sat down at the kitchen table with the pastor and, and the pastor began to uh, pray with him. He said, I want to get right with God. And he prayed. He said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me and save me. I want to be saved. And, and after he prayed, he got up from the table and he said, where did it go? They said, what are you talking about? He said, the weight that I felt, it's gone. I feel so much lighter. What is it like when a person gives their heart to God? You feel lighter. What is it like when a person gives their heart to God? You're cleaner. What is it like? It's taking away the fear of knowing if I die, I'm not going to die and go to heaven because I'm not right with God. So when I get saved, that fear is taken away. Now you can say, come with me. I'm ready, Lord Jesus. I remember now. Thank you, Jesus. We're talking about how we coordinate for the texts. That's what you were trying to tell me. Thank you. I thought you said tests. I couldn't hear. So, <laughs> trying to coordinate with the texts. So I said, I'll just send something gen generic out. And I got the text because I have to be reminded to come to church. That's where we were. When I got the text, it said, communion at 1030, church at 11, put God first. I said, look at that. I'm preaching about notable firsts, and he said, put God first. I think we got the right message. Amen. Amen. God has a way of putting things together. What were the first words of those who had been forgiven? What about the woman taken in adultery? When Jesus said, go and sin no more, what was it like for her to walk out of there no longer burdened and feeling the, the guilt of her sin, knowing I'm clean. God doesn't hold, uh, hold it against me anymore. He forgave me. I'm not that woman anymore. Now listen, sometimes those will, those, there'll be people that will still look at you as if you were the person in the past, but you can't let, allow or let somebody's idea of you drag you back to what you once were. If God has made you clean, you're clean. If Jesus has set you free, you're free. Amen. Amen. Because we all have some past, don't we? What was it like? The woman taken in adultery. How about Zacchaeus? We already know part of his words. 
this rich man that had stolen and cheated and connived everybody, and he ran ahead, short fella, people wouldn't let him get in to see Jesus when Jesus was passing by, ran ahead, climbed the tree, Jesus came by, I love this, Jesus came by, he never met Zacchaeus in his life, never met him in his life, Jesus comes by, looks up at this fella in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, how does he know my name, Amen. Man, you know you're in the right place when God's reaching out to you. And he's saying, Cheryl, or he's saying, uh, uh, John, or he's saying, uh, uh, whatever the name is. And he's reaching out to you and you say, man, God, how did you know that was my past? How did you know that I was involved? How did you know I felt that way? How did you know that sometimes I feel so unworthy? You know, in church you get these two different Two different uh, people on the spectrum, two different places. You get people that they feel so dirty and unworthy. And sometimes they say, well, I can't come to that church. You know, the folks are all dressed up. Sometimes people ask me, what do you need to wear? I say, well, the pastor's got to wear a suit and tie, but you can wear whatever you're comfortable in, modest clothing, amen. There'll be some dressed up and some not in casual. You'd be comfortable in whatever. There'll be those that feel so dirty and say, man, I can't go to church. I can never be like that. And there's a lot of folks you don't want to be like, amen. <laughs> but, but, there's a God that says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. What you need is not eight hours of sleep. What you need is that, that weight of guilt to be taken from you. What you need is that dirt to be cleansed from you. What you need is your heart to be made new, Amen. So you get the one spectrum of people feeling so dirty sometimes they're even hesitant to come to church. Then you get the other ones. I mean, you can preach the whole Bible. You can throw Bibles at them. And they still are sitting there saying, I'm right and ain't nobody going to tell me that, you're not right, that they're not right. And they're judgmental and they're critical and they're unloving, disobedient to the Scriptures. Doesn't matter how you preach to them, what you talk to them, if you sit down and tell them nice, if you preach to them and correct them and rebuke them, in their mind they're just like, hey, I'm the number one brother just like no other. The number one brother. Amen. And they walk around with that attitude. And you're like, what in the world can you do with that person? Amen. Let them come to church and, and God has a way of letting circumstances begin to crush pride out of us, doesn't he? All of a sudden, the diagnosis and the doctor said, there's nothing I can do for you. And suddenly, oh, I need God's help. You fall into a sin. And now that you've looked down at everybody else, now you need grace and mercy. Ooh. And you just think about all the times you looked at that sister and you looked at that brother and you shook your head and said, why could, why could never do that? Why did they do that? That's so filthy. Here's the thing. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Once you get on board, that bus is going to keep on moving. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Time for me to go now. No, once you've checked in, you can't check out. Unless Jesus helps you, amen. And sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Amen. And so we can't sit back and be judgmental and critical and look at everybody and have that bad attitude. That's exactly what the religious people were in Jesus' time. And, he, and the hardest reproofs and rebukes that Jesus had were for those folks. 
because they couldn't look at people with love. Now listen, I understand there are people in every strata of spirituality. There are those who are just getting in at Christianity and they love Jesus. They might not even know certain things are wrong. I believe God, by the Spirit of God, will lead them and guide them into all truth. There are other people who know things and they've been around a long time and they endeavor to live it and they have a right spirit at one level. There are other folks who are just all across. Now don't you come by and judge the brand new person at a 20-year level. Amen. Because you weren't that way after 20 days. So why find fault with them? Amen. Now listen, sin's sin and you got to stand up and you got to uh, repent of it and you got to get things right. But you don't have to be judgmental, critical. Let me go on a little bit further. What was it like when they first got forgiven? What was it like when the man was lowered down through the roof? The Bible said his friends brought him to church. But it was so crowded, they couldn't get through the crowd. That's the way church ought to be, amen? Couldn't get through the crowd. They had to go up to the roof. Now, don't do that to us, amen? <laughs> Unless you're willing to help pay for the repair, it would be okay. I guess if you were desperate, go ahead. But anyhow, they climbed the roof and broke up the roof, and they lowered their friend down. And Jesus looked up at him. He wasn't upset. The Bible said he saw their faith. And what did he do? He said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now look what happened. There were people in the church, in the congregation, in the, the crowd that day who sat back. And Jesus knew what they were saying in their mind. And he answered the question, even though they didn't speak it out loud. The Bible said they were thinking... Who is this man that can forgive sins? And Jesus spoke out loud to their, to their mental question. He answered audibly. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Other day, William and I, again, we were, we were so one yesterday. We walked into a store. I, I've never seen the guy. I guess I, if I have, maybe. We walked in the store, and he looked at me, and he said, How's Barry? I knew he was talking about Barry Jordan. I said, well, he's fine. And we started talking. I'm thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> he knows me. I don't know who he is. He knows this brother that I know. And, and he's, I said, what's your name? How, when, I, when I say, if I see Barry, I say, I saw so-and-so. Who do I say? I tell him. Tell him so-and-so and so-and-so. I said, okay. You know, sometimes you just don't know who knows you. The man was lowered down. Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee. The question of the Pharisees in their mind was, who is this that can forgive sin? Jesus answered audibly. Must have shocked the snot out of them, huh? Whether well, is it easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise, take up thy bed and walk. But just so you know, I've got power to forgive sins. He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man got up and walked out of there. And what was it like? Boy, I wish I could have been in that congregation that day. What was it like when they looked around and their eyes began to pop up? And the Pharisees said, man, we never saw it on this wise before. And they saw that guy strolling on out of there. Why? Because he had been forgiven. And he had been healed by Jesus. 
I got two more things. What was it like when one of your loved ones, one of your friends, one of your family members, they died? And they spent, <laughs> whoever needs to treat that little one better, they're, <laughs> they're hoping you die. <laughs> uh, uh, no, of course, they're just despondent. But what was it like when that person died and they spent the first day in eternity? Now, for some people who went to heaven, and that must have been something, to see God face to face, to see the walls of the new Jerusalem, to see some of the, the saints that have gone on before, to see some of the, the great ministers, maybe to see people that they thought, man, I never thought I'd see you here. How did you get here? I prayed and Jesus forgave me just like he forgave you. I got tired of living in, in sin and tired of being addicted and tired of being angry and tired of being upset all the time. And I poured my heart out to God and God gave me love again. What was it like, first day in heaven, taking in the, all of the sights to see, hearing, all the music to be heard, heard smelling the, the fragrances of heaven? Now I like colognes, but, and you like sweet smells. What, is it, what does it smell like in heaven? Driving down the road yesterday over on King's Highway, and man, it's just all kinds of bad road there. They just need to fix it. And then suddenly you break onto smooth road and your car's like, ah. What do the streets feel like under your feet in heaven? When you sit down on the side of the, the, uh, the river, what does it feel like in heaven? What do you see? I don't think you see any tears. We know the Bible said he's going to wipe away all tears. I don't think you're going to hear any crying and weeping. There won't be any cries of pain, anguish. All those who were sick are going to be healed. All those who were in pain, bless my brother, every week he makes his way to church. It's not easy for him. Drags his body that doesn't always want to cooperate. When the weather changes, it's a little painful for him. He was talking on the way in. Man, the weather's kind of rough. When it's rough, it kind of hurts. But when he gets to heaven, he won't need a walker anymore. There won't be any pain in heaven. Amen. You won't need to take any more Tylenol or, uh, or ibuprofen or whatever it is. You won't need a, any, any allergy medicine in heaven. Amen. First day in heaven, what's it like? Get ready, musicians. But not everybody that dies goes to heaven. What's it like for those who die who aren't Christians and they spend their first day in hell? Dante wrote about it. He said there was a sign that said, Abandon hope, all ye that enter here. First day in hell, when you recognize, I'm never, ever, ever going to be out of pain. I'm never, 
ever, ever going to feel pleasure again. There's no hope, no chance for a do-over. You know, people come to church and they always think, well, I'll get right next week or I'll get right tomorrow or whatever it might be. But you don't know that. Yesterday afternoon right here at Broadway and Bates, there's a guy that got killed, shot and killed. I read a couple other right around our neighborhood. You, you just don't know. And if you're not ready and you are not born again, you are not saved and you haven't repented of your sin, when you die, if you are not a Christian, there is no, there is no purgatory. That's not in the Bible. Nobody can light a candle for you or pay the church to get you out of there. There is no second chance. The Bible said it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And this, the modern Christian culture of it's all right and God's a gracious God and he overlooks stuff, that's just not biblical. Jesus was, it was, sin was so egregious and so grievous to God that Jesus, his own son, had to die to pay for it. Don't think that God's going to overlook it. The Bible said at one time God winked at sin, but now commands men everywhere to repent. You've got to get right. Because when we die, it'll be the first day in heaven if you're a born-again believer. Or the first day in hell. And that's only the beginning. For heaven it will be joy forevermore. But in hell, the Bible said the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever and ever. Listen, there's no woman worth that. There's no man, there's no high, there's no drug, there's no job, there's no money, there's no geographical place, no house, no car that's worth that. No personal grudge that you hold because they did me wrong. Guess what? You did God wrong. But he's willing to forgive you. And he said if you hold on to somebody else's sins, he will let go of yours. So it's better for you to say, you know what, God, I'm going to let you deal with that. You give me a right spirit. I cannot hold a grudge and go to heaven. I cannot be critical and judgmental and, and, and cynical and questioning and upset and angry and expect God to be pleased with me. Because preacher, I, I want to know that when I, go to when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. What do I have to do? You have to be born again. That's why Jesus came. You have to receive him as your Lord. You have to repent of your sins. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me and save me. If you mean it, you don't, have, you don't need great theological prayers or 12-step programs or giving all your money or climbing the mountain to see the guru. Jesus did it for you. But you've got to admit, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. Not, not glossing over the stuff and say, well, there's a reason behind why I did that. And my husband wasn't faithful to me, so I went ahead and I cheated on him. And there's a reason why I stole. I mean, I, I really needed it. God doesn't buy that. You have to say, God, here I am. No excuse. I've sinned. Forgive me. Save me. Then and only then can God wash it away. Would you bow your head, close your eyes? 
Lord Jesus. I thank you. You've been so merciful, so kind. You've helped us. You made a way for us to be forgiven. I ask God now, those who are here, that they would respond to your call. Jesus, you loved them so much, you made a way for them to be saved. You made a way for them to be cleansed. They don't have to be dirty and weighted down and guilty and addicted and angry anymore. They can be set free if they'll just come to you. God, call them, draw them. I ask it in Jesus' wonderful name.